Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Good to be with you all. I'm Aaron Elmore. I'm the lead pastor here at the Kirk. And I just want to thank our our worship team that leads us every single week, um, just giving of their talents and leading us into truth and into God's presence. And this morning, that that last song we just sang sets us up really well. This idea that we need a firm foundation. We have to have a, a deep belief that God will not fail and that his plans are good and his purposes will prevail in our world. Because the truth is, we often get discouraged when we pray. We're overwhelmed. We're overburdened by all the things we see going on around us. And even in our own families and our individual lives, we're overwhelmed. And I think there's an underutilized but powerful resource that we have when we face this. And that is prayers of lament. Lament. So we've been going through the Bible this year. Many of you are reading along with us. And in the plan that we're using, each day we have a psalm. How many of you are grateful in some of these sections of the Bible just for the psalm? You know, you get through like oracles against the nations and you're like, I'm not really sure what to do with that. I know it's God's word, but you hit the psalm and you're like, okay, that's speaking to me. There's something there I can latch on to. And the psalms do write our story and they speak to us. In fact, actually, by some counts, up to a third of all the psalms could be classified as a psalm of lament. That's the largest category. And in a psalm of lament, the psalmist is writing either about a circumstance that everyone is facing or something individually. And they're crying out to God and they're asking God for help. Prayers of lament can can include expressions of complaint or anger grief or despair, even protest against God. But it's certainly more than just therapeutic venting. The ultimate goal of lamenting prayer is seeking understanding, peace, and greater trust in God in the midst of suffering or disheartening circumstances. Prayers of lament can be a beautiful expression of our worship. When we face difficulty, rather than turning away from God, we rather turn into him to greater trust and faith in him. And I just, I want to confess to you, church, this is something in my life that I don't feel that I've done well so far. Somewhere where I I know that, that when things get hard and the pressure of life cranks up, I don't always turn more into God. Many times I become more disciplined. I just become unwound and I'm, and I miss the opportunity to seek God in the midst of those hard things because it, it is an opportunity for us to grow in faith to grow in trust. And so there are many different kinds of prayers of lament in Scripture. We have the Psalms, but we also have it in the Old Testament wisdom literature and in the prophetic books, as we've just read a portion of this morning. And so today we're going to look at the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. It begins with a prayer of lament, and it concludes with a prayer 
for renewal. It's one of my favorite minor prophets, actually, because it involves a dialogue with God. It's essentially a prayer and a song of praise that is offered as a prayer. So as we look at our timeline for the minor prophets, we see that Habakkuk lived in the southern kingdom of Judah around 600 BC. This is just before the southern kingdom of Judah will fall to the Babylonian empire as a part of God's judgment on them. So he was a contemporary of Jeremiah. Tradition uh, suggests he was a priest of the tribe of Levi. And and again, the book of Habakkuk is is unique. It doesn't proclaim a word of judgment, a word of oracle to Israel, to Judah, to any other nation. It's simply a prayerful conversation between the prophet and God. It's very personal. We can sense the emotion which Habakkuk has this conversation with God. This is a very personal thing for him. He's very frustrated. He's trying to understand the sovereignty of God. And yet so many things around him seem out of control. While he knows that God is sovereign, his daily experience just reflects this reality that is troubling. This book encourages us towards deep reflection and prayerful wrestling with the beautiful mystery of God's sovereign will. This book is a personal journey of trying to believe that God is good when there is so much evil and tragedy in the world. And I think we can all relate to it. In this dialogue, we see the vibrant faith and the deep humanity of a man who is growing in his understanding of who God is. He's trying to understand God's will. And he asks good, fair, legitimate questions. He persists in his understanding when he doesn't like the answer that he gets. He waits and he struggles. And ultimately, the dialogue ends with his renewed faith and trust in God. And friends, that's, that's our journey of faith, isn't it? We struggle. If we're really thinking about these things, we have questions. There's things that we don't understand. And we have permission, we have biblical permission to ask those hard questions. We may not always get the answer that we want or that we like or that we feel is best, but we're allowed to ask the questions and struggle. And so as we look at Habakkuk's journey this morning, I think that we'll be encouraged. I think we'll find ourselves in this dialogue. And so it begins with him seeking God. He's seeking answers to his questions. Two specific questions. How long and why? Those are good questions. Those are questions that that we ask when we face circumstances in our lives. God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, why are you causing this to happen? God, how long is this going to go on? How long do we have to wait? The book begins with this prayer of lament. The prophet feels that his prayers have not been answered. And he's frustrated. He's questioning God's justice because of the delay in his judgment. And he asks God, how long will you leave this sin unpunished? He describes the situation very vividly. He says there's violence, injustice, greed, wrongdoing, oppression, strife, conflict. People are proud. They're hostile. They're hardened. Justice is perverted. God's law is ignored. Does any of this sound familiar? And so Habakkuk is asking good questions. God, why are you allowing this mess? And how long are you going to allow it to go on? 
We see his emotion. We see his personal investment. He's lamenting the state of his nation and the people that he is trying to lead. He's perplexed. This is essentially the nature of his question. How long will the spiritual and moral disintegration of society continue before the Lord will do something to stop it? It's a contemporary question. And certainly Habakkuk is thinking that God's answer will be that he will raise up a prophet, that he will raise up a king like King Josiah that he had done just a few decades before this to bring about a time of covenant renewal. Certainly, maybe he'll raise up a military warrior who will lead the people into victory. This is what he's thinking. But God's answer is very surprising. The Lord's answer, verse 5, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians. What? Seriously? That's your answer? God, you're, wait, you're going you're gonna to use people who are worse than we are, who are more cruel than we are, to bring judgment on your own people? That's your answer? You've got to be kidding me. And this situation made me think of a great Tim Keller quote, of course, where he says, only if your God can outrage and challenge you, Will you know that you worship the real God and not a figment of your imagination? If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Ouch. You might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Whenever God does something that challenges us, that requires of us something that we find difficult to obey, we have a choice to make. We can submit ourselves to that. We can surrender. We can say, even though I don't understand, God, I will trust in you. I will follow your way. Or we can make that thing that we can't let go of into an idol. Whenever we say, I could never worship a God who would dot, dot, dot. I could never believe in a God who would dot, dot, dot. However you fill in that blank, that thing is a false idol. You've made that thing more important than worshiping God. You've chosen to worship that thing. And in fact, in the end, what you're doing is you're worshiping yourself, how you think the world should go, what you think is right. And let me tell you, friends, a lot of you are real nice people, but you're not in line to be God, and that's a good thing. And I'm not either. And that's a good thing. Habakkuk was probably thinking of the injustice that had been coming in from the outside. Because by that time, there were other nations that were coming and had tried to invade. They were living among the people. And so he's probably thinking, you know what? All of our problems here, it's because of those outsiders that are coming in and messing with our system. But the problem was, no, it had all been going on from the very beginning. And they had gone through time after time of, of God telling them, turn from your ways. And they hadn't. And part of the required honesty of lamenting is accepting that we suffer because of things outside of our control and because of things that we do. When we cry out to God for justice, we must remember that sin is always both around us and within us. That all of the problems that we see in this world, we are contributors to each and every one of those. 
And so God's answer here really is that he wants to focus in the house. And this is often God's plan. He says, you know what, don't, don't worry about those people out there. In fact, they don't even know, they don't understand my law. You have it. You understand my requirements of you, and yet you don't do those things. So don't worry about all that out there. I'll, I'll take care of that. Everything will come to be restored and redeemed. Justice will come in its due time. You need to start with you. You need to start with your heart. And yet, understandably, Habakkuk struggles with the Lord's answer. Everything about his answer was not what he was expecting. In fact, God's answer raises further questions for the prophet. Seemingly, the cure is worse than the illness. Wait, never mind, God. Maybe just leave us alone. Changed my mind. And like the prophet, we all wrestle with experiences of feeling like our prayers are not answered and are not answered the way that we would desire or we think best. But the truth is, God always hears our prayers and he always answers our prayers. Because from our perspective, an unanswered prayer is simply a no, a not yet, or a not in that way. Because when we pray, God, would your kingdom come and would your will be done? We're praying that God's will would be done God's way on God's watch. That's hard. From our perspective, it's hard to wait. It's hard to even see the answer at times. But he always hears. He always responds. Sometimes, though, it may take a long time. And just like the prophet Habakkuk, we struggle to wait. But waiting is an important part of lamenting. And so the prophet doesn't like the Lord's answer. He basically says, no, I, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't work for me. The Babylonians, no, that's, that's not a good plan. God, how could you possibly do this? So he says, Lord, I need, I need an answer. Why? How are you, you going to use these people? And he says, I'm going to wait. And he, he sort of pictures himself like a watchman up on the walls of the city, waiting for an answer to come, waiting to hear. He says, I'm going to wait. And this is one of our big challenges. Because waiting is an important part of our spiritual formation. It's so important. It puts us on our knees. It builds our trust. It reinforces our dependence on God. And God's perspective on time is different from ours, right? You've probably heard the scripture, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. In other words, God doesn't relate to time in the same way that we do. And therefore, oftentimes it feels as though God is on a different timetable than we are. And that's frustrating. And God's answer concerning the Babylonians is that he will call them to account at a later time and he will not forget his people. He will bring about a faithful remnant. His plans and his purposes will go on. There will be a time of restoration, but for now it's a season of harsh discipline, which is driven by love. The Lord calls Habakkuk to trust in his character and his plan, even when he doesn't understand it. And God's telling the prophet and consequently us that while you have permission to complain and lament and question and be frustrated and wonder about things and seek understanding, at the end of the day, we are called to trust in God. Verse 20, God says this, the end of his response to the prophet, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In other words, I am God and you are not. And that's a good thing. And and hear the tone here. 
It's not God saying, hey, you know what? Mic drop. I'm just going to, you just shut up. You don't even know, human. Like you need to understand. Be in your place. No, that's not God's tone. I think God is saying, my child, whom I've made a covenant of loyal love with, you can trust me. I understand everything. I created everything. It is all happening according to my Big W will plan. It cannot be stopped. You can trust in me. I am God. I am seated on the throne. Nothing surprises me. Nothing takes me out of power. I know it is difficult to trust this answer, but I need you to trust me. My child, I love you. Nothing is beyond my authority. Nothing is beyond my providence. May all the earth be silent before me. Be still and know that I am God. There's a real rest for the soul that comes when we can bring ourselves before the king of the universe who is seated on his throne and we can trust him and we can be silent before him. It reminds me of another powerful passage from Isaiah 55 where the prophet writes, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We should not expect to always understand God in his ways because we are finite. We are limited creatures. And then chapter 3 is different from the rest of the book. It goes away from the back and forth dialogue and it becomes a song. It's a song of praise, a song of renewal. The prophet's dialogue with God has resulted in his desire to express the state of his heart in a song, a song of worship. And the song begins with a statement of renewing his heart. He says in verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known, and in wrath, remember mercy. What a beautiful prayer. You want to take away? Maybe you just need to pray that verse every day this week. Lord, we remember, we know, we've looked to your character. You have demonstrated yourself faithful. And would you do again what we have seen in the past? Would you do it in our day? And in your wrath, would you be merciful to us? What a prayer for our time. When we go through difficult seasons and particular challenges, we need to remember how God has worked in the past. And it will give us hope and it will give us perspective that whatever right now is, has not always been and will not always be. There's probably a couple of people in the room that just need to be reminded that whatever right now is for you has not always been. And will not always be. God is always at work. He is always changing things. And yet he never changes. And starting in verse 16 of chapter 3, there's a shift to the first person. This book ends with a very personal prayer. His prayer in verse 16 begins with accepting. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. What is he talking about there? He's talking about his response to this news God has just dropped in his lap. He says, I am absolutely, utterly overwhelmed by this. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. 
think this verse is one of the most moving statements of faith in the entire Bible, not just because of the powerful language that's used, but because of the context. Because the prophet has just heard exceedingly difficult news to bear. And he says, in the face of that, I will trust in God. I will accept this difficult plan and I will wait patiently. This revelation that the Lord will work in a different and unsettling way to accomplish his purposes must have been very difficult to accept. But in the end, he declares that he will be allegiant to the Lord. He will trust in God, no matter what the personal consequences may be for him. And then he concludes by going beyond that to rejoicing in God's provision. Verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. He's saying even if things get really bad, in fact, I think he's saying he understands that things are going to get difficult. He knows what it would mean for the Babylonians to come and invade them as a people. Judah is primarily an agrarian economy. He's saying, look, we won't be able to rely on this anymore. Our whole economy, our whole society is going to be in upheaval. And even if he loses everything and all sources of comfort and security fail him, he will have God as his source of strength and joy. And the question for us is, will we join Habakkuk and Job and countless other people in the Bible and down through the ages, countless Christians to make this difficult affirmation that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away? But blessed be the name of the Lord. It takes a deep-rooted faith, a deep belief in God's goodness and power. And so our book comes full narrative arc. He begins in frustration and lament, and in the end he resolves to trust in God's provision and his sustaining power. His raw honesty and desire here to seek understanding, they don't appear to be the doubts of a cynic or of a critic but the honest searching of a man trying to grow in his understanding of God's will and God's ways. And I would say that I think for a lot of us that we may miss one piece or the other here. I think the trajectory of beginning with a prayer of lament and moving on to a prayer of renewal and revival, this is important. Both pieces are there. And maybe you're a person who finds yourself stuck lamenting, but never being able to turn your heart toward God and trust in him. Or maybe you're a person that skips the lamenting portion because you've been explicitly or implicitly taught that that's not okay and that you're not allowed to lament. Now, God doesn't want to hear your complaints. No, actually, he does. His, his word gives us examples for this. And so maybe you're a person that that only finds yourself getting to the prayer of renewal, but you don't struggle through the honesty and the hard questions. We need both. There needs to be a movement in our prayers. We see in the prophet's dialogue someone who is hungering and thirsting for God's righteous action with the resolve to trust in him no matter the circumstances. And each of us, we face countless troubling, perplexing, disheartening circumstances in every season of life. They keep changing. They're different. And I think the truth is that we all have probably at least one right now that we are facing. A situation where the question really is, why, Lord? 
or how long, Lord? And I want to encourage you, encourage all of us to tap into this prayer of lament, to ask those questions. Because here's the irony of it. A lot of people say, well, you know, if you, if you ask God hard questions and you're doubting him and you don't have enough faith, but here's the opposite. We ask the questions because we have faith. It's actually an expression of faith because we know we can ask the questions because we know that God ultimately is the one with the answers. He's the one with the power to move on our behalf. So a prayer of lament, as odd as it sounds, is actually an expression of faith, not a lack of faith. It shows that we know where to turn to when we struggle. So it's not just the prayer of renewal that is an expression of faith, but the whole process of turning to God in prayer and going on that journey of faith, that difficult journey of faith. So here's the question. How will we respond to the, to the, to the challenging things in our lives as we look out at the world and we see disheartening things and we're discouraged by all that we see going on and all the sin in the world? How will we respond? Are we going to become bitter and cynical? Are we going to get stuck in the news cycle? Are we going to turn to the ways of the world and just say, you know what, there's no hope? Or are we going to say, no, as people of God, we are a people of hope. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit and we need the grace of God. But can we be a people who dig deep in hope? Yes, who lament the condition of the world and who recognize our part in the problems but who don't lose hope, who believe in a God who hears our prayers and who has the power to change things. Will we resort to our own devices to temporarily mask our pain? Or will we wrestle with God in prayer with an aim of greater faith and trust in him? This is a difficult journey. Somebody after first service said, man, that was... That was so good and true, but yet that was so hard. You know, how is it that it just, it's such a difficult message. It's something that we all struggle with. We struggle to trust in God when we don't understand. But this is the journey that we're on. And what a gift that we get to do it together. Amen. And we can know that God is always there. So let's go before God. Let's pray about these things. Father, I thank you. That you are a God who knows, who sees, and who hears. I thank you, God, that because of the work of Jesus Christ, that through faith in him, we have access to you. And God, we can pour out our hearts before you. You give us permission to wrestle and to struggle and to ask you hard questions. We God, I pray that you, by the power of your spirit, you would move us along that trajectory, that ultimately you would turn our hearts back to you, that we would place our trust in you alone and nothing else. Not our own strength, not our own power, not the strength of our economy or the strength of the nation surrounding us. God, we would turn to you and we would place our faith and trust in you alone. And we would trust that you never fail. God, that though things around us seem to fall apart, and even when we feel like we are falling apart, God, you are there, and you are the steady, firm foundation of our lives. So God, help us to trust in you. Help us to have 
faith in you. God, so that our lives can tell a story, can give a testimony to a God of good news, of mercy and of grace, a God of transformation who's always changing things. So God, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray that it would produce good fruit in our lives and would bring you great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.